Welcome to this episode of Mission Business, a podcast about good business for those in the business of good, presented by your part-time controller, LLC, also known as YPTC. My name is Jennifer Oliva, the host of Mission Business and managing partner at YPTC. In this episode, I speak with Ryan Easterly, Executive Director of the WITH Foundation, an organization that promotes the establishment of comprehensive healthcare for adults with developmental disabilities. The WITH Foundation is one of YPTC's amazing clients that we are proud to serve every day. In our conversation, Ryan shares his story and perspective, the inner workings of the WITH Foundation, and how they are working to address individual needs and what inclusive and transformative healthcare really means. And now, my conversation with Ryan Easterly. Ryan Easterly, thank you for joining Mission Business Podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to today's conversation. I can't wait to hear all about your journey. You're a client of ours with the WITH Foundation. Tell us a little bit about your background and experience and what brought you to the WITH Foundation. So um, in starting this intro, I'm going to model something we use within our operations at the foundation, which is an access check-in and and an inclusive introduction. So as part of that introduction, I am going to provide a visual description of myself, which is also going to be helpful for this podcast audience. But hi, everyone. My name is Ryan Easterly. My pronouns are he and him. I'm a black man with black hair with a beard that has lots of gray in it. Um, I wear glasses, and I am a shorter guy, and I use crutches to help me walk. Um, that accent you hear is because I grew up in Alabama, and I'm Southern. Um, I do have multiple disabilities, both a parent in the cerebral palsy and a non-apparent disability in a mental health diagnosis. So, um, and typically I would say in terms of access needs, Um, When in meetings, I often, if they're on in virtual environments, I say that I want to make folks aware that because of my disabilities, I'm not often in the center of the frame um, because my body posture changes throughout the meeting. Um, And also, I have a slight speech impediment, so sometimes it may take me an extra second or two to get out what I want to say. But the WITH Foundation, when we start all of our meetings, whether internal or external, we try to model inclusive introductions and access check-ins because we really find it helps foster inclusive meetings for everyone and allows the opportunity for everyone, regardless of whether they have a disability, to disclose what they need in that moment to fully participate. So, you know, even if you don't have a disability and you're dealing with childcare issues, it allows folks the opportunity to say, hey, I'm dealing with childcare issues or I have this or that going on. Um, But it is in keeping with the tenets of disability justice, which is something that is core to how the WITH Foundation operates. Um, I do want to touch a little bit on what WITH does. So we are a private foundation that ultimately promotes comprehensive health care for adults with developmental disabilities in the U.S. And when I say developmental, I'm referring to disabilities that are developmental in nature and that occur before the the onset occurs before the age of 22. Um, So how do we do that? Ultimately, we provide up to about $1.5 million 
each year to organizations that are working to help um, educate medical professionals. So providing cultural competency training or culture humility training for medical professionals. We provide some support of the use of supported decision-making, which is um, alternatives to guardianship. Some folks may have heard about it um, in light of the more recent Britney Spears situation, um, but we support the use of supported decision-making within healthcare settings. We do some supportive research that helps adults with IDD access high quality healthcare, um, but really looking at anything that helps that adult with IDD access high quality healthcare. And I think what makes us somewhat unique in not only what we fund, but how we fund in, is that the foundation um, intentionally engages adults with IDD in all elements of our operations. So we have folks with lived experience of disability within our senior leadership, within our staff, within our vendors, um, as well as on our board of directors. Um, and in, in addition to that, um, we also have a self-advocate advisory committee, which is comprised of currently eight adults from across the country that have intellectual or developmental disabilities, and they are really co-decision makers in our grant making. So they assist in reviewing all the proposals we receive and really help um, drive some of the foundation's decision-making as far as the projects we support. Your description of your access check-ins and modeling your inclusive introduction um, was a learning experience for me, and I'm sure it's going to be a learning experience for our listeners. So um, thank you so much for doing that. That was fantastic. So who are you funding directly to? Are these two individuals or two found other foundations or nonprofit organizations? So, so as a private foundation, our grantees are other 501c3 nonprofit organizations. Um, so, so in general, it's in large part healthcare nonprofits, disability nonprofits, um, and some universities. About um, a large portion of our grantees are um, USIDs or LINs, which are um, university centers for excellence in developmental disabilities that is part of the AUCD network. So the Association for University Centers on Disability. So I think about between 25 and 30% of our overall grantees are USIDs or LIN programs. So tell me a little bit more about your participatory grant making. I think you alluded to it. So um, I, I do want to take a step back and just mention that community participatory grant making approach has existed for a while. Um, its roots go as far back as the 70s. But in the case of WIT Foundation, um, we've been using a community participatory model since 2014, 2015, which actually predates me coming on board as executive director, but matches around the time that I joined the board of directors for the foundation. Um, but in 2014, 2015, we, we used a model where we brought together adults with IDD um, in person and walked them through our dockets and asked for their feedback. Um, I, I will fully disclose that 
Um, we've had multiple models. Um, that first model was a little less successful than the model we currently use. Um, and we've used our current model since around 2017. And the differences between the two approaches are we now, under, under this current model, all the meetings are virtual. We're also intentional in providing compensation um, for the advisory committee members, because especially as funders, we understand you pay for the things you value. So lived experience has value and the ways um, that they lend their perspective and their expertise strengthen our grant making. So um, we provide that compensation. We've also added in an educational component. So not only are they advising us on our grant making, but we also provide education around the responsibilities um, related to being on the board of trustees of a foundation or a funder. So um, we take them through, you know, what is it like to review um, a financial document? What are you looking for when you're seeing a 990? Um, what are trends going on in disability services and disability research? So the different things that help inform them if they were, as they go on and become exposed to other funders, what's going to help them be considered a, a qualified, a vibrant, you know, a sought after board member of another funder. And then they also can ask questions to all the applicants um, we have. And we are very intentional in when we're talking with applicants and organizations, um, we're very intentional in saying, you know, these are the questions raised by our advisory committee. And then we take those answers back to the advisory committee. Um, and as I said, they really are co-decision makers and helping us shape our, our final funding decisions. So you have this inclusive approach to your grant making. And while you're doing so, you are educating those with uh, disabilities to become more participatory in other nonprofit organizations, uh, potentially being board members. So training and development of uh, potential board members, which we need so much in the nonprofit world. So I think for me as someone with, with a disability and, you know, I, I didn't grow up around money. I don't think I was aware of philanthropy until I got to college. And, you know, especially as a finance individual, um, you're aware of balance sheets. Um, some of the balance sheets I look at um, have much higher numbers than I ever grew up around. So I think that educational piece and um, that some of the supports we're able to provide are so critical for folks with disabilities. And in general, the world of philanthropy and the world of grant making um, is less transparent than it should be. So I, I, I think that's our attempt to try and not only educate the disability community, but also um, model that transparency that I think would benefit everyone. everyone. Not just those with disabilities, but everyone. Uh, and in that inclusiveness of the decision-making process is also modeling for the whole nonprofit community, the foundation community uh, in a wonderful way. So tell me a little bit more about your background, how you got to the WITH Foundation. How did you start your career and how did you get involved in philanthropy? So I, 
I was born in Tennessee, um, and I grew up mostly in Alabama. I spent my early years um, in the foster care system. Um, I was ultimately adopted in my early childhood by a family, um, and that, that precipitated our move to Alabama and began my love of sweet tea in many ways. Um, and then I was luckily born into a family that was um, knowledgeable about disability issues. My mother was a special education teacher and she actually um, helped me understand many things about kind of the process of things and the supports that I needed before it was on trend. And I will say my mother, you know, was sitting me down and having conversations with me before that was the thing to do. Um, they were also very intentional in um, letting me know early on, like, hey, you know, we're, we're glad you're in this family, but um, we don't have a lot of money. So we expect you to go, go to college, but you better get scholarships for that. So they were very intentional. Um, and I always appreciated that. I also got um, kind of the desire to make a difference in my community and make a positive impact from my upbringing. Um, and I began when I was in high school to become more of an advocate for um, people with disabilities in a number of different ways. Um, ultimately, I ended up being appointed to the Alabama Governor's Commission on Disability and help advise the gov governor. When I was in high school, I did a program called the Alabama Governor's Youth Leadership Forum. Um, and these are for forms and programs that specifically help students with disabilities um, develop leadership skills. Um, there are about 33 wildlife programs around the country. But participating in that program was the first time that I began to understand um, kind of the role everyone can play in making a difference. I think until that time, I kind of saw a leader as being kind of one thing. So it's, to me at that time, it was the person who's always on, that's kind of like the center of attention that draws, you know, people to them, you know, that's charismatic. And that is not me. Um, if I now know, you know, I've taken Myers-Briggs a few times. I'm the most introverted extrovert, um, according to the test that one of the proctors ever gave. Um, and to most of my friends, they say that they don't know how I'm technically an extrovert because they know me to be an introvert. So I think I straddle the line. <laughs> but it, it was it was then that I began to, through participating in YLF, that I began to understand, like, really, it's you do what you can to help your community, to help the folks around you. And to me, even to this day, like that's how I'm able to, to tackle things and support people is I think for me, I break it up into small bits mm -hmm. and say, you know, maybe I can't change the world, but I can, you know, introduce this person to additional resources. I can, you know, help this person get the support they need. So and I think it was through the YLF program that I, I began to understand that. And then, you know, my leadership continued to grow 
in college. And then ultimately, I went to D.C. and did an internship at the Department of Treasury. Um, it was then that I realized I liked D.C. Mm-hmm. I didn't like working in the Department of Treasury, but um, I went back to Alabama, finished my last semester, graduated. Where, where did you then, attend college? Troy University, but then I ultimately graduated um, and and began the journey that many in the disability community, you know, have of trying to find employment. And at at that time, you know, I had been appointed by the governor, you know, knew knew a lot of folks, done a lot of things, had a had a wide network of folks, but it still took me quite a while to find an actual job. And it's not because I was picking. It's like, you know, I was a college, um, I had a college degree and was going in for interviews as a secretary, as an admin, you know, where my job was to make copies. And at that time, this gives away my age a little bit, but you know, I would have been making around $6 an hour. And I go into interviews and the first question they'd ask is, you know, can you talk? Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know, I had a college degree, so I'd explain, yes, a lot of typing was necessary um, when I was getting my degree. Um, But a lot of folks have, you know, issues finding competitive employment, and I was no different. Um, I applied for over 100 jobs, and I had a spreadsheet um, where I kept the list of jobs I was applying for. And then after 100, I finally had to stop keeping the list because it got too depressing. Mm. Um, and But then eventually I did get an interview at the Department of Labor and ended up working on their workforce recruitment program, which is an internship program for college students with disabilities. So that was my first kind of professional job. At that job, um, it was a temporary appointment so I knew going in that it was a limited amount of time. And luckily for me, I had a colleague that um, worked in the office that she told me, oh, there's this foundation that they're looking to um, hire and they're funding in the area of disability. So and I will always remember this. I um, you know, submitted everything and, of course, had friends and colleagues help me um, with everything and did mock interviews with them. But actually got an interview. I I went to go in the office and it's this very, very nice building. Um, and you go in and everyone's kind of quiet and everyone looks so put together. And um, but I, I went on the interview and they, you know, asked some very interesting questions. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell especially young people, because they look at, you know, how did you get into philanthropy mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of thinking like, oh, you must have always known and no, I didn't. On on my first interview, I still really didn't grasp what the job was. I went into that interview kind of thinking, oh, they want me to help build leadership programs. Because when I looked at their website, it seemed more like, you know, they, they were supporting and, and building these leadership programs. What they were doing was funding them. But to me, what came off on the website was, oh, they must want me to build programs like these. And and I thought, oh, I can do it. You know, I've, I've done it before and I've been a part of other leadership programs, um, but went through multiple rounds, eventually got the job. And that began my career in philanthropy. And I ended up being manager of 
their grant making portfolio for young people with disabilities and young veterans. Hmm. And that was um, at a foundation in D.C. called the HSC Foundations. Then after a number of years working there, I got tempted away to work um, at a tech startup doing their community relations and corporate social responsibility. It's what brought me to the West Coast, um, to California, and I do like being in California. The weather is better. And yes, you get to wear fewer suits. Um, I ultimately um, realized that that the job wasn't using all the strengths that I wanted to, and I, I felt like I had to offer. So, um, But while being at the tech startup, I got introduced to the WITH Foundation and ended up joining their board. Mm. And... Um, after some time, they were doing an ED search, and um, several several of the board members, especially the board president, um, ultimately came to me and said, you know, we keep going through this process and wondering, why isn't Ryan throwing his hat in the ring? Like, you know, why, you know, why you should consider this? So ultimately, after a lot of back and forth, I was convinced to throw my hat in the ring, went through multiple rounds of interviews, and ultimately got the job and have been serving as their executive director since 2017. Um, again, you know, phil- philanthropy is not something I grew up around, but what I like about philanthropy is it does touch so many different aspects of communities and of, of life. You know, it does impact research. It does impact direct service. Um, just every facet of life, it has influence over and impact on. So um, I think from the second I understood what what it was and the, the influence it had, I was hooked. I also began to understand just how few people like myself um, had opportunities. You know, I identify as a as a black gay man with disabilities. Um, a lot of the rooms I walk into it's, you know, I'm one of the few that, that has the lived experience that I do. Um, so I think it's critical for folks like myself or any any person that is marginalized or has historically excluded identities um, to consider working in philanthropy. And, you know, and, and part of my role outside of the healthcare funding that WITH provides is to, you know, through our advisory committee and through many of the other forums that um, I'm able to be a part of, help educate folks and, and prepare folks and open the door for folks so that they too can share their lived experience and and be part of grant making. Because I do think having people that have a diverse array of lived experience actually have impact and decision making power in grant making is what is going to ultimately help make things better for for everyone, but especially those with multi-marginalized identities. Nothing to say after that. You are an amazing example um, for people. Um, I'm sure, you, I don't know if you use the word role model or um, mentor, uh, and uh, using your life in this way is, uh, as you say, you know, everyone can make a difference, and it certainly sounds like what you do uh, all the time. Thank you. Thank you.
we work with you on the business side of things at your part-time controller, our associate, David Pate, who was the one who suggested I interview you on Mission Business. What have you learned along the way working with David? Well, can I just start by saying how incredibly grateful I am for David and the support he provides us and, you know, just your part-time controller in general. As um, with Foundation is a lean, small staff foundation. So um, I am the only FTE. We do work with a number of other consultants to help support um, our operations in, in many other ways. But um, the model that your part-time controller has is ideal, I think, especially for small staff foundations because um, it enables us to do what we do well and then depend on your part-time controller and wonderful folks like David to um, support them in doing what they do well. So my background and my um, education is not in finance. Um, I do know a lot more about finance um, these days than, than I used to, but I still would not consider myself a finance person. So having someone like David that is there that, um, and I will say, especially in my transition um, since coming on board in 2017, really I was tasked with number one, helping us transition to a, a virtual foundation. So we gave up our office space pre-pandemic um, because at that time our board was thinking, you know, that's more money we can put into grant making, but also in professionalizing our operations in general. So one of those things um, I was able to do was bring on your part-time controller and really um, with with David's support, really make sure that um, everything was ship shape in terms of our bookkeeping and, you know, that there there is someone there that's um, able to talk to when we're doing um, tax prep with, the, with a firm that, you know, David is now there to assist and making sure that in addition to my perspective, um, he lends his perspective to those conversations as, as they're preparing a 990. But it, um, again, as someone who, you know, my training is not in finance, it's David has been tremendously helpful in, you know, helping make sure that we are as professional and things are as together as possible. And he's also, um, one of the education sessions that we provided the advisory committee, um, he also conducted for our advisory committee. So he took them through, you know, here are red flags that I look for. Here's kind of the quick things from my perspective of if I see financial documents of a nonprofit. So in lots of ways, um, what what he's been able to do for us has been so helpful. I'd also be remiss. Um, I think if our board were here, um, they would want me to mention how helpful um, he's also been able to provide us with pie charts. Pie charts. And especially with, with our um, board of directors, we talk a lot about making sure that the information they receive is in multiple formats because, you know, people learn in different ways. People take in information in different ways. And I think, you know, having those pie charts is another way that we're embodying the values. And, and I know, for sure, you know, that some of our board members that have been less engaged when it comes to the discussion of, you know, the ins and outs of finances, 
it's another way that they're more actively engaged because the information is in a way that they can understand or, or something that they, you know, are more responsive to. So I, the board, would, if they were here, would also say just how much they appreciate the pie charts. We love a good pie chart and or any data visualization that tells the story in a meaningful way uh, to non-financial uh, board members and members of staff that um, can learn in in much uh, more visual ways too. Um, so thanks for saying that. Well, again, thank y'all and, and thanks to David. He is tremendously helpful. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, outside your day job at the With Foundation and all of the boards and councils that you are uh, involved with now. Ryan, you are a really a nationally facing individual in uh, the world of disability advocacy and also in philanthropy. So tell me about, you were just appointed to the President's Council on Disability inclusion in philanthropy is that am i saying that right yes yes <laughs> and i'm just gonna generally say buckle up folks i i am very busy i don't know how this all happened but i'm thankful it all all has um but as of today actually the the press release um formally went out announcing um that i am succeeding darren walker who is the ceo of ford foundation as the co-chair of the president's council on Disability inclusion and philanthropy. And what the council is, is a group of 17 foundations um, at this point have come together to ultimately say, we're going to do what we can to advance disability inclusion and philanthropy. So that includes encouraging more funders to be intentional and in funding disability issues, more specifically disability inclusion, disability rights, and disability justice as well as we're gonna do what we can to advance um, the inclusion of folks with lived experience of disability in philanthropy. Now we know, you know there are folks with disabilities working in philanthropy um, and a large part of them have not apparent disabilities um, and they, they may not feel comfortable in disclosing their disability in their, their current workplaces. So some of the supports that the Council offers, and and more broadly, um, one of the things the President's Council is a kind of project of the Disability and Philanthropy Forum, which is an online portal for funders. Um, but one of the things the the portal provides is a number of workshops, a number of supports that helps funders create those more inclusive, open environments, so that people are able to get the supports they need to be, um, to feel supported and comfortable in disclosing um, their lived experience, whether it's disability or other forms of marginalization and oppression. Um, but I am very pleased to officially be co-chair and I'm, I'm co-chairing it with Rich Besser, who is the CEO of Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which is a very large, um, health equity funder, um, and Rich, um, Rich has been involved in the council since its ex its inception, um, as has With Foundation, um, 
but I'm very excited to be co-chairing it with him and continue the work and to continue um, advancing disability inclusion in philanthropy in all the ways that we can. Um, and also, if there happen to be other funders um, listening to this, I encourage you to check out the Disability and Philanthropy Forum website and especially take a look at the Disability Inclusion Pledge, where the forum has outlined um, some basic milestones that um, they're supporting funders and reaching that will ultimately help foster disability inclusion in philanthropy. Um, and that um, disability inclusion pledge at this point, there are more than 70 organizations that have signed on to the pledge. And I would say, you know, if you're, if you haven't thought about being intentional and addressing disability, um, it's a great group to join because you'll find many partners and peers that are in the same place in the journey. Just so that listeners know, when we talk about the President's Council on Disability Inclusion in Philanthropy, the president we're talking about is President Biden. So um, this is so I do have a presidential appointment, but it's it's a different thing. And that's what, why I said buckle up. Folks. Okay. So with the pre, with the president's council, that is signifying that it's the senior leadership of foundations. Got it. So at this point, it's seven senior senior leaders at foundations. My presidential appointment is. Um, currently, I do serve at the pleasure of President Biden for their um, White House Commission on Presidential Scholars. Um, and that commission focuses on identifying um, 161 scholars each year um, that are high school students that are um, exemplary in their communities and within their states. And, and they receive um, support from the White House and kind of have a platform from the White House as a result of their efforts. So I am one of the commissioners that helps um, identify um, and helps the White House with their process of identifying those scholars. Got it. And it it is tremendous. Um, I thought I was accomplished until you start um, learning and, and um, just getting to know more about the White House presidential scholars. And then I feel like, what have I been doing with my life? Because, you know, some of these individuals, you know, at 16, 17, 18, like, are just already changing the world. And it really does make me feel lazy. Oh, Ryan, I'm laughing because just listening to you speak and all the things that you have accomplished um, is just so impressive. And uh, you, you are... Uh, there for them. Well, so. thank you. I I just I do what I can, but trust me, if if you got to meet some of these scholars, you too would feel like, what have I been doing? Because <laughs> I, you know, I don't know um, how you have time to sleep, quite frankly, between the With Foundation and what the Presidential Council and the White House Commission on Presidential Scholars, and you're also a co-chair of Exponent Philanthropy's Disability Funders Peer Circle. How do you sleep? So I will say sleep sleep is something I have a complex relationship with for for a number of reasons. Um, but I'm I'm on my own journey in, in that regard. It's um one of my friends and colleagues in philanthropy, Sandy Ho, who works for the um Discipline Inclusion Fund at Borealis Philanthropy, 
talks about the concept of disabled joy. And I think, um, you know, I'm going to just briefly touch on this. It's um, my life and my upbringing was very, very complex. And, you know, I went through a lot. We're not going to deep dive into all of it today, but I've lived through several lifetime movies and, you know, had had some really hard things in my life. So I'm not always like the most optimistic person. And, and really, when I hear the word joy, more of my body gets uncomfortable. But I think for me, what has been important is to also understand, like, sometimes your body does need rest and it's okay to do nothing. Like, you don't have to deserve to rest. So I think um, particularly with the conversations around concepts of joy, I think for me, I've been on my own journey about, you know, that it's okay to rest. Yes. Because I do think, because just different things, it's, it's something I doesn't come easily to me. So has there been anything uh, that I haven't asked you that you think our listeners would like to hear about your journey, about the With Foundation, uh, about your connectivity with philanthropy around the country, with, about so, your experience? So I'm, I'm going to say two things. The first one I want to speak to if you are an individual that maybe you haven't had as much exposure to disability or maybe you're on your own journey being a loved one of someone with a disability or you yourself have a disability in general i just like to point out the fact that um sometimes when i and others share you know stories or stories like mine the takeaway can be, well, how in, how inspiring. And to me, I would say, I don't want you to be inspired just for the sake of it. Because understand, like, the things about my life and the things that are, are that make me me actually have very little to do with my disability. And the things that have been most impactful about my life are things that are not apparent. You know, I'm I'm very persistent. I've I've been through a lot, many of the things, you know, we we won't touch on today, but but understand like but that still didn't change my disability disabilities has not changed like the fact of growing up I knew I wanted to make a difference. You know, people with disabilities, even if their disabilities look very different whether they're apparent or non-apparent, like they they still have the desire, the capability of making an impact in their communities, in their environments. So, you know, when you're when you're hearing these stories and and I hope that you take away today that, you know, if it's going to inspire you, let it inspire you to, you know, talk more with that family member those family members you have with disabilities, be more open with your own disabilities. Or if you haven't had as much contact with people with disabilities, like reach out to your local, your local organizations, you know, talk to folks with disabilities. Also do what you can to not just view us as objects of inspiration, a pity, you know, I'm a full fledged 
individual. So even though I have led a miraculous life, it's, you know, the things that are most miraculous about me are not my disability. It's, you know, I've been through a lot. I hopefully am a good friend. I, you know, so just please do what you can. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But, but do what you can to push yourself to making sure that you're engaging with people with disabilities as more than objects of inspiration or objects of pity. And, you know, you're, you're accepting us as our full selves um, because it, it helps everyone. Um, Beyond that, I, I would also say if you are a funder or if you are working with funders, I hope you will do what you can to help me and help others encourage funders to get beyond the days of where they say, oh, we don't do disability or, you know, we're not a disability funder. There is no facet of disability that doesn't touch on other communities, other forms of identities. So if you're wanting to make a difference in education issues, you should be intentional in addressing disability. If you want to make a difference in women's issues, you should be intentional in addressing disability issues. If you want to be intentional in addressing racial equity, you should be intentional in addressing disability. So if you're working with funders, if you are a funder, um, like I alluded to, like join the Disability and Philanthropy Forum and help us get beyond the days of, you know, we don't do disability. Because as someone who has multiple historically excluded identities, um, it serves no one to have that to have that perspective. And to be frank, it's discriminatory. You're mm-hmm. only making it harder for individuals like myself to exist, to be our full individuals, to contribute everything we have to offer if that approach continues to happen. You know, I went through life. There, there were times where, you know, I interviewed jobs to shred paper mm. there, you know, and now I run a foundation that has, you know, a multi-million dollar corpus and gives out up to $1.5 million a year. It may seem special. It may seem, you know, ex- extraordinary, but I, I promise you there are many other people with disabilities that have the same capabilities, have the same potential that I do. It's just they need they need folks that will help give them the opportunity and the support that I had. So I hope um, as you listen to today's conversation and y'all are out in the world, you know, try to be part of the solution. Try to be a part of engaging with people and supporting people in ways that, you know, encourage encourages everyone to be their full self. What a great message. Um Thank you for all your messages and uh, all the conversation today. Uh, you talked about joy earlier. It was an absolute joy to talk to you today, Ryan. And um, thank you for being a client at your part-time controller. Well, well thank you for allowing me um, to be part of this conversation today, Jen. And thank so much to your part-time controller for helping me have the space for a little bit more joy in my life because we have support from David and your part-time controller. It's, you know, it's, again, 
I appreciate it so much. And I would encourage any other organization, any other nonprofit organization, especially any other lean funder. Um, you know, I can only preach the gospel of how great y'all have been and and how, you know, y'all have really been a partner in, in helping us do what we do best. So thank you so much for for your time today. That was my conversation with Ryan Easterly, Executive Director of the With Foundation. Next up is our Ask the Controller segment with YPTC's own Director of Strategic Partnerships, Geraldine Dressler, and YPTC Associate, David Pate. Hello and welcome to Ask the Controller. I am your host, Geraldine Dressler, and I want to give a warm welcome to our guest, David Pate, from our Washington, D.C. office. Hi, David. Thanks for being here today. Hi, glad to be here. So Ryan talked about how he has implemented financial literacy training for WITH Foundation board members that you have been instrumental in, specifically the pie charts. Can you talk a little bit about how data visualizations has helped the board members be more effective in their roles? Sure. Well, the board members take their oversight responsibilities very seriously. And one key factor they're looking for is the efficiency of the foundation. That is, what are the total grant dollars given out as a percentage of total expenses? That information is in the financial statements, and I always mention it in a board meeting, but I can draw attention to it best in a simple pie chart that's front and center in their financial package. And I can tell from their feedback that they get the message best that way. That's great. And that's the whole point, right, is for them to be able to make better decisions using the data that you give them. That's great to hear. So Ryan talked about the challenges of running a lean foundation. He always has to do more with less, of course. Is there a particular process or way of doing things that he has implemented that stands out to you as having been instrumental in the WITH Foundation's success? Ryan certainly has a lot on his plate. And so probably the best operational improvement was my working with him to implement Bill, which is formerly known as Bill.com. That is cloud-based software that automates and streamlines the accounts payable process. It saves him time and effort in obtaining payment approvals and not having to print and mail checks. That frees up time for him to focus on running the foundation. And Bill also leaves a good audit trail and it syncs with their accounting software, which makes me happy as well. Yeah, using technology really seems to be the key, especially with organizations that are small and lean like the With Foundation. So glad that you were able to assist on that end. And finally, what do you like best about working with Ryan and the With Foundation? Well, Ryan and I worked together at our previous employer, the HNC Foundation. And we learned a lot from each other in the process. We have plenty in common because of our backgrounds in healthcare and nonprofits. And, you know, it's great working with someone like him who has found his calling and is so dedicated to his cause. And I'm simply glad to play a supporting role in what they're doing. That's great to hear. And thank you for all your work with the With Foundation, David. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Mission Business Podcast. We look forward to bringing you more stories of innovation and perseverance from nonprofits around the world. 
I want to thank the team at PWP Video for their guidance and assistance in the development and production of this podcast. They are a great partner for Media with a Mission, and you can find them at pwpvideo.com. Additional information about this episode can be found at missionbusinesspod.com. And follow us on social media at Mission Business Pod on Instagram and Facebook, and at Mission Biz Pod on X, formerly known as Twitter. I want to thank our guest, Ryan Easterly, Executive Director of the With Foundation. This podcast was produced by Erica Blair and Geraldine Dressler of Your Part-Time Controller, LLC. Dave Winston and Michael Schweizheimer are our producers from PWP Video, and the show was directed and edited by Pat Ganley. Again, I'm Jennifer Oliva, and we'll see you here next time on Mission Business, presented by Your Part-Time Controller, LLC.